Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to AMP, the actionable marketing podcast from AMA Omaha. My name is Jordan Maddox-Kopp, president of AMA Omaha, and I'll be your host today. Today, we are amped to bring you an interview with a member of the AMA Omaha Executive Advisory Council, Mr. Paul Baltus. Paul has a wealth of experience in both mainstream media and internal communications and is currently the Director of Communications for Nebraska Medicine. Welcome, Paul. Thank you very much, Jordan. Good to be here, and I am amped to be here. I got to tell you, we go way back, so this one could get a little squirrely. Um, First things first, let's talk about your background. Where did you go to college, and what did your education look like? And most importantly, did you know you wanted to be a newsman from the (laughs) get-go? No, but it worked out well. Um, So I did my undergrad at the University of Arizona uh, in Tucson, which was, you know, is what passes for my hometown, and as as far as what, what that educational experience looked like, it depends on who you ask. Because my wife, <laughs> who we met in college, and she majored in medical technology and is an actual scientist. So she was going to like organic chemistry class, and I was going to watch Citizen Kane and write a paper about that. But, <laughs> so, uh, but no, uh, plan A, as I look back, was probably to go into... Um, military or government service. I spent my first year in college in Army ROTC. And um, after a year of that, it, it, I, I found it wasn't for me at that point in my life and uh, took a turn and did a year of undecided. Then I did a year of film school. Then I did a year Artsy. of- Yeah, I know. Um, I, I was kind of the ringer in that group. Um, <laughs> but so I ended up with a, with a major in media arts- video production, which isn't journalism. And uh, so I, you know, I kind of fell backwards into the news thing. And um, once I started down that path, I knew, well, this is it. I I figured it out. And it was like my junior or senior year in college when I figured it out. And you figured it out while you were still in school. I mean, that's checking a box right there. (laughs) It's a start. Yeah, it was. So you reported in a lot of markets, including Arizona, Indiana, and Nebraska. What drew you to each of those, or was it a specific opportunity that arose in each of them? Work. Yeah, now it was opportunity. Um, So growing up in Arizona, um, a lot of people started in the smaller markets in Arizona, which there are a couple. So I started in Yuma and um, spent a year, my first year at that station, um, as the California Bureau reporter, which... um, you know, depending on the, the scenario, you could say, I was the bureau chief. Well, <laughs> I was the chief of a, uh, a typewriter. Typewriter in chief. Out, fax machine in, in a van and a camera. And, and so with, uh, at, varying ti- at varying times, had another person with me. Um, and it was just, most days it was just two people running around Imperial County, California, covering the news. It was great experience awesome experience. So 
when you transition into covering news in Nebraska, did you, did you still get a van? Um, different, different types of vans. I, I was no longer driving the vans and setting up the live shots most days, but, um, yeah, it was, you know, it's, it's, I think like a lot of things, it's the same job in a different, you know, it's, it's the same type of job in a different setting. So at the end of the day, when you boil it down, you're figuring out what the most interesting or relevant or exciting thing happening in the town where you work and you write it down and tell people about it. That's, that's the basic job description. Uh, Newsman. Yeah. Check. <laughs> so you spent a lot of time in broadcast and in news. What is the most memorable story from that period of your career? Oh, let's see. So I got to do some cool things. Um, I got to fly with the Blue Angels. I got to cover Super Bowl. And, you know, you cover not cool things, which is often, you know, part of the job. But I think this is a story I, I related on my last day on the air in South Bend, Indiana, which is the market where I spent the most amount of time as a news person. Um, and it was a it was a story where this kid, there's a little girl who had wandered off into a cornfield at, you know, at night and her parents were obviously very concerned and the, the local sheriff's department had put out a call and said, we need volunteers to help go out and find this, this little girl. And so we had that at the top of the newscast and people came, people showed up and somebody found her alive and well, safe. She was just lost. And this guy found her, escorted this little girl. She was probably seven, eight, nine years old. I can't recall the exact details, but this guy found this little girl lost in a cornfield, walked her out, handed her off to a sheriff's deputy, and just whoosh, faded away. He didn't want any attention. He didn't want his name released. He didn't even give his name to the police. If I recall, again, this is like 20 years ago, but <laughs> um, it was a great, it was, a, it was really rewarding from... Like one, you love a story with a happy ending. And and from a news perspective, it was like, here's a service to the community. You know, we told The news people, created the yeah, happy ending. This, this to some degree it did. And and this this man showed up, kind of saved the day, and didn't want any credit, didn't want any attention. He he did the right thing. He walked away and, you know, didn't charge for autographs or start his own brand of tequila or anything like that. He just kind of went away and we never knew his name. And, and that was a story with a happy ending, but it, it stood with me as something that like, here's a chance where we can do some good and, and help the community. And I have a feeling we're going to touch back upon that. We can do some good and help the community in your new role when we get to that. But we do have some of those stories too. You've got lots of those stories. So how have you seen when you were in news and, you know, even since you've moved beyond and still have a lot of your friends that have been in news yeah. and still continue, how has that reporting game changed? How has the expectations upon the individual reporter changed? I think, you know, I think the biggest thing is probably the advent of social media and the instantaneous nature of news coverage that stuff is, you know, by the second instead of by the hour. And you don't, you no longer have to wait as a, you know, a newspaper doesn't have to wait till press time to break a story. And a broadcaster doesn't have to wait till the top of the hour on the radio or five o'clock or six o'clock on television. It's news as it happens. So that's good. And, you know, that can be bad because you don't always have all of the information right away. And I think, you know, there's a, whether it's, it's well-placed or not, but there's, off, there's often criticism of the media in all caps of being 
more interested in getting things first than right. And there are certainly examples of where that's happened. And I've certainly seen examples of people who have said, I want to wait and get all the facts before we go out with a story. And that's you know, obviously the outcome that you'd like to have every time. But I think, you know, the technology is probably the biggest thing. And it changed, it snowballed, and it goes very quickly. And I mean, could you imagine a time like back when you were reporting where you would turn on Facebook and see a news feed <laughs> where somebody is walking backwards down the street live reporting a stream from their cell phone? I dreamed of such a thing because at that first job I was – um, you know, I'm setting up my own live shots and, um, and, you know, sometimes I was setting up live shots for other people, but it was, it was a fairly involved process that required some technical training and you had to drive a very expensive piece of equipment. And, um, you know, there was, there was a lot of preparation that went into it and there were some safety risks that were involved with it too. So yeah, the idea of flipping on a phone and being able to go broadcast live from anywhere where there's a cell phone signal, total game changer. You mentioned that there is this change in technology and we've reflected upon the use of that live feed. How have you seen those same sorts of changes that are impacting the news media actually impact the internal communications capacity or the PR capacity of a corporation? Yeah, it's funny. I was just having this conversation with a coworker this week where um, when I started at Nebraska Med 12 years ago, um, we were still in some cases sending out paper press releases in big envelopes. And um, you know, that didn't last much longer than that, but um, we, when we began incorporating video and, um, you know, some of the modern digital and, you know, again, social media game changer that we're doing um, weekly Facebook live interviews that are branded um, as Moments in Medicine Live, which is the name of one of our publications that goes to consumers. And so um, we're doing these kind of consumer topics, consumer health topics with our experts and we're doing them in a relaxed interview seg uh, interview segment on Facebook where people can, you know, have Q and a where, you know, that technology didn't exist before you could do a live report on, on a broadcast medium, but you couldn't do it as a, just a, you know, a small business or owning your a own large channel. Business. Yeah. You, you are. And it's like the old, whatever YouTube's original, you know, broadcast yourself, I think was their original, <laughs> their tagline when they first came out, but that was, that was it. It's like, um, you know, it's, it's content marketing, the, the fancy term for it, but it's really, it's telling your story on your terms to, um, to your audience and growing your audience. What eventually led you to make that move from the news media, traditional mainstream media and reporting into an internal communications capacity? Again, it was, it was opportunity and, um, I had started um, feeling toward the end of my time um, in the news business, I had started considering doing other things. And I was very fortunate in finding a position at Nebraska Med that allowed me to put my skills to work in a different setting. And I told people it was a lot of the same, um, a lot of the same skills that you use as a broadcast journalist, I was using as a communications person at the med center. So I'm, I'm still finding out what that interesting story was and writing it down. However, instead of being the voice or the name behind it, I'm helping somebody else tell that story and understanding what those needs are, um, you know, enabled them to do their job better and, um, and allowed us to tell our story and, you know, have a, 
a large megaphone to tell our story to the local audience. I, it was funny when I, when I began in media relations, I think there was, depending on where you work, and I'm fortunate that we didn't have this at Nebraska Med, but I think some people think media relations, the job is like your job one is to make the media go away. And job two is to make the media cover everything you put out. Right. Every last thing. That's not it. And, and, you know, I think most often it's, it's a symbiotic relationship. It's the pilot fish and the shark or whatever. I guess you can, depending on the scenario, who's who. (laughs) But, um, no, we, there's a, there's an equally beneficial relationship, I think, both ways. And I think, you know, it's not just um, working with reporters to have them tell positive stories. If there's a critical story, you got to be there for that one, too. And you have to build that trust so that if um, a reporter calls you and says, hey, we've got this story that, you know, and you look at it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily paint you in a favorable light. Well, hey, we're, you know, we're not perfect and sometimes we make mistakes. And so if that means we own those mistakes publicly, then that's the, that's the right thing to do. And we'll do that and we'll answer those questions. And we, you know, kind of in our, our organizational mantra from the PR perspective was, you know, we don't really do no comment. There are a lot of things we can't comment on because of HIPAA, HIPAA <laughs> privacy rules and all these other things, or that it's, you know, something proprietary, but always try to give somebody perspective on that. Yeah, and, and say, not just shut them down. Yeah, and just say, uh, not talk and click and hang up the phone. Um, say, this is one of those things that we cannot talk about, but maybe we can tell you in general why we can't talk about that. You know, A little bit of education yeah. goes a long way. So in your time with the Med Center, which is over a decade at this yeah. point, you have been exposed to so many tremendous stories. I mean, stories of the growth, stories of patient treatment, stories of advancement in medicine. Yeah. What are the stories that, you know, if you just sat down on any given day, you still reflect back on? Big ones and little ones. So, you know, the big one is um, uh, Ebola. So that's the one that people, that's been five years now, believe it or not. But that's one where people still, um, you know, come to us. And I was just, I was in Chicago last month speaking at a conference about what our response was like during that activation. So that's a big, you know, it's a big PR case study. Um, but they're also little, little stories. I quote little stories. They're big to the people involved. And, and those are the ones when I talk about like, gosh, what was, what's the f- favoritest story that I've done or been part of there? Um, there's one where uh, it was a story. It was really, it was an, only an internal story. We didn't end up doing anything in the, in the news media with it. Um, it's, it's still on our YouTube channel. So if anybody listening wants to look it up, you could probably go out there and find it. But it was a story of a, a hospital housekeeper who had struck up this great relationship with um, a teenage patient who was there for oncology treatment. And this teenager from central Nebraska who struck up this really unique friendship with this hospital housekeeper who had come to the U.S. from West Africa and spoke with an accent, but always had a smile on her face. And they connected despite whatever language barrier was there. English was not her first language. And the two of them struck up a friendship like you've never seen before. And, you know, these people are in the hospital in many cases for long periods of time. And so the two of them became friends and they got to be, they'd have breakfast together every day. And she would sing to her every time she came into a room. It was just a, it was a great story from, you know, a, 
if I were a reporter, it'd be a great feature story to tell. But it was really like from an internal communications and engagement perspective, it was, hey, no matter what your job is here, you, you have a huge impact on people. And that's what this, this girl's mom would say. Like, yes, the doctors are amazing. The nurses do a great job. Nothing touches what? Peace was the name of the housekeeper. Her name is, is Peace. And I still see her all the time. And um, she's awesome. But so, yeah, Peace and Love is the name of the video. If it's, it's out there on the, in the dark, dusty corners of Nebraska Medicine's <laughs> face or uh, YouTube channel. So those are the kinds of stories, though, that I think I think you're right. It is so important to find examples of members of the team who might be outside of the spotlight, truly living the mission, Yep. like living the mission from top to bottom and embodying the culture. And when you share that back out, it shows that you're watching. Yep. And, and I think it's true. Um, no matter what environment you're, you're working in, whether it's a, a hospital environment or whether it's a factory or an office or, you know, whatever, there's always, there's stories everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. And that's what's fantastic. I mean, from for those who don't know, I mean, I spent five years as a part of the Nebraska Medical Center communications team, and we were blessed with a really large, expansive, in my view at that time, Mm -hmm. communications department full of all these wonderful minds who had connections throughout the entire organization. And you absolutely never knew during a staff meeting what stories would crop up and just start a light bulb. Yep. blazing and all of a sudden you've got an entirely new campaign coming out to reinforce what the organization is that you wouldn't have even conceived of mm-hmm. without the story to start it. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of credit for that, the fact that, that marketing and communications and PR is really embedded in the DNA of the company. It, it goes back a long ways and um, it's, it's hard to refer to it as a company. It's really kind of like a community, a, a, it's a city unto itself. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, but, uh, you know, my experience has been back to when I was first interviewing for a job there that the, the leadership all the way up to the executive team really understands and really values the, um, the potential of marketing and communications and public relations, which is, which is why we're able to have a team like that because they understand there are, business reasons to have that you know there's it's it's not a nice luxury to have it's it's really necessary to um complete and accomplish the mission of the health system i completely agree um one of the things i definitely wanted to wrap with you about just given the fact that we were primarily the internal side of the house um Oftentimes in organizations, internal communications and external communications are viewed as completely separate buckets. There's very little overlap. They often deal with different entities, different agencies. How do you see these two parts of a marketing message influence one another? And where do you think there's the greatest opportunity for each side to learn from the other? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a big, most of the time, happy circle because um, again, and, and far be it from me to say that there's there's a right way to do this, uh, you know, to to structure a department. Because I know a lot. You talk to even within similarly sized academic health systems like ours, things are set up differently. You know, maybe the marketing department is a completely separate function, and the PR department is in a completely separate building, and that works for them. Far be it from me to say that's not the right way to do it. I feel like we've been successful having everybody in the room together. Um, 
internal communication sits right next to marketing, sits right next to the PR team and the digital marketing team. Um, we're all sort of in the blender together because so much of what we do feeds around to the other things. And, and a big part of that is, you know, we have Nebraska Medicine has close to 9,000 employees. You know, it's a city. That's a decent sized city <laughs> in Nebraska. And, and so we have to, as we're communicating internally, we also think about, you know, that's, that's also an external message because, you know, if we're, if we're sharing a general health message about, you know, get your flu shot or, um, you know, it's time to schedule a mammogram. As we're sharing that important message with the general public, we're also sharing that important message to our internal audience because we're a microcosm of society and, you know, the, the greater Omaha metro area. We're a microcosm of that. You know, one of my favorite parts about working at the Med Center was watching the pride that team members have with being a part of that city, with being a part of that organism. Yeah. And I think one of the coolest things that the marketing team was a part of putting on was the company store. Yeah, we still we still run the company store. Yep. So can you explain, like, how does something like the company store that is there to really offer ways for team members to get in there and, and wear the brand, what part of an overall strategy does an element like that play? It's, um, you know, it, it, going back 15 years, which probably longer, and it predates my time there, but it, it was initially a marketing effort when the Serious Medicine Extraordinary Care tagline was um, was debuted back in the early 2000s. And it, it started as sort of a, you know, imagine a kiosk in the middle of the mall where you're, you know, selling license plate frames or something, but they would wheel out the merchandise at the start of the business day and they would wheel it back in. And then at some point they got a physical location within one of the hospital buildings. And we just like... A couple months ago, we doubled the hours because we had still been operating on a really short day. And, you know, it's a 24-7 operation. And so um, it it's a point of pride, like you said, for the people who work there. Um, they wear serious medicine on their backs when they come to work every day. Um, and some people choose to wear it on their days off as well. So we have, you know, hoodies and baseball hats and things like that that um, – we, we throw them like, let's see if this takes, and oh, it takes off like crazy and, and people really like it. So it's also been a really good um, way for patients to express pride and gratitude, which I'm, my gosh, there's nothing better. If you're a healthcare facility and you have patients and their family members willing to wear your brand, that you know, something's, something's going right. Something's right. And so, you know, we, we have at times, um, different sort of healthcare cause. So, you know, in October we'll, we'll, um, we'll have breast cancer awareness material. We'll have, um, organ donation material. We have, um, these t-shirts and sweatshirts that say Nebraska medicine saved my life or organ transplant saved my life. And there's nothing cooler than seeing somebody who's had an organ transplant wearing that shirt because, whatever credit we get out of it, the real goal of that is to get more people to sign up as an organ donor and save more lives. And know what's possible and know it's yep. possible right here in the state of Nebraska. When you see somebody walking around with it saying, me, I, you know, that, that a, a transplant saved my life. It, it becomes not abstract at that point. Uh, yeah. And that's, I think, like you said, that's compelling Yeah, in a way that storytelling is great. But when you actually yeah. see it on somebody who's a living, breathing embodiment of the success. Yep. That's fantastic. So 
I would be remiss if I didn't dig into the fact that you were also a part of a major rebrand for the hospital. That's a true statement. Taking it from the Nebraska Medical (laughs) Center and the University of Nebraska Medical Center and University of Nebraska Physicians and bringing it all together into one cohesive identity. So that involves a confluence of internal stakeholders and external parties. What did you learn from that experience? Um, We learned, I think the the biggest takeaway there would be um, don't be afraid to ask for help. I say that to my kids all the time. Um, but this was such a big undertaking that, um, so a, a quick uh, summary of, of what you just set up, Jordan. It was um, we, five years ago, we integrated the, the business operations of our two hospitals, so Nebraska Medical Center, Bellevue Medical Center, and then UNMC Physicians, which was the outpatient um, clinics, into one um, organization, Nebraska Medicine, and and working alongside UNMC, which is our academic and um, uh, education and research partner. Um, so that was not only creating a new um, brand identity with a new name and logo, it was restructuring how the business operates and um, retooling the executive structure and all of these other things that were very complicated. So it's a lot to take on, and we had to have help. From a branding standpoint, we worked with um, uh, a partner agency. Uh, Greg Dakey's team was uh, absolutely indispensable in the work that they did and helping understand that a brand is more than a logo. It's more than a tagline. Um, I know I'm singing the, the, the uh, song that a lot of marketing experts already know, but it's Greg and his team really helped us define what that brand is, what we want it to be, and how we display that and how we live it and, and make it come to life. And that was a that was a you know it was a major undertaking that took the better part of a year, um, depending on which aspect of it, maybe longer. But because we couldn't pull over, for lack of a better word, we couldn't stop the car and pull over. We had to keep you know we had to keep going, and so we had just the regular business of the day to keep up with, um, it was really important to have um, uh, an external partner and an external partner expert in the field to really help us accomplish that. And um, They keep driving it even when the day-to-day is happening in the background. Yep, yep. And at the same time, I mentioned Ebola a little while ago, it just so happened that um, our uh, Ebola treatment our activation happened. We had three patients in the fall of 2014, which was exactly when our new brand was being unveiled. And so it ended up that we, we ended up unveiling the new brand while our second patient was still in the hospital. And we just finally, we have to, we have to light the candle and get going here. So, so obviously when you're bringing together folks that have basically been in command of sort of their own identity Mm -hmm. for a while, and you're trying to create something new and unique how did you all, in partnership with your external agency, navigate the times that the conversations maybe got a little sticky, a little rough? Yeah, it was it. It wasn't all easy, and it, you know there there are um, you know you have an affinity to your employer, and so it was really making sure that it it wasn't um, a takeover, that one organization wasn't taking over another organization, that we really tried to. And I don't know if we got it 100% right. It probably depends on who you ask. But um, there were kind of workplace culture considerations to have because, you know, one one of the legacy organizations may have always done things this way and one of the legacy organizations may have always done things that way. And 
Um, so bringing people together, um, it was a very cautious and deliberate, deliberate approach. We didn't want to just smash a bunch of people together and say, no, <laughs> get to work. Um, but, but I think, you know, you're right that, that um, it's a very thoughtful approach that goes into that. So we had a lot of face-to-face meetings, a lot, and um, give people a chance to ask questions. Um, our leaders were on the hot seat all day. And there were days when we would do six or seven of these colleague forums with, you know, overnight crew, physicians, um, nurse practitioners. It was just every you know, group every had, a, group voice had a voice. And, and um, you know, again, did we get everything 100% right? I'm, I'm sure depending on who you ask, there are people who would say, well, you know, maybe if we had it to do all over again, which we don't want to do, um, <laughs> you know, maybe we do things differently, but, but I think that face to face and understanding that there's no, there's no one way to do everything. You know, you can't just put out a memo and say, Hey, we're reorganizing, we're rebranding, get get on the bus. (laughs) We, here we go. You have to, you know, you have to um, engage people along the way and help them understand. And we, we had some surveys that we kind of tracked progress of understanding where we are in that progress and on that process and, and where people are understanding their role and why we're doing this. It wasn't just a haphazard thing like, well, it's been a few years, it's time to rebrand. No, there was a real business reason to do it. And and we wanted people to understand their role in it and make sure that they were engaged in the process. So what do you consider the highlight from the rebranding experience from having trudged through that 12 plus month endeavor? Uh, we, we put together um, a really cool event a rebranding event and we sort of internally broadcast it through all different um, locations without, cause we, you know, we, we, I say we, cause I, you know, my, my legacy organization was Nebraska medical center, which is that one big hospital in Midtown there. But, you know, now we're talking about, we've got a hospital in Bellevue. We have dozens of clinics throughout the community and we have some business office space. So we made sure that we had um, somebody at each location to literally pull a, uh, a drape off of a new logo. And um, when we did it, we had people from each legacy organization working together to do that. And so there was a whole program of, you know, helping people understand the legacy that we weren't turning our back on our, you know, almost 150 years of legacy in Omaha, that, that this was the next evolution of that. And so also showing people what the process was like of developing that new logo and some of the iterations that that Greg and his team went through and in, in coming up with the the red shield that everybody hopefully knows and loves now um, five years later, but uh, showing some of the rough drafts of that and so it was it was kind of a cool peek behind the curtain for that and and really energizing people and there was a video that um, was produced that that was sort of a all right let's get to work this is who we are doesn't stop it it you know we're shifting into the next can't year. stop won't let's stop let's go right exactly <laughs> exactly. So you, again, 12 years at Nebraska Medicine. And so you've seen just via technology alone, I can imagine, a ton of changes in the way that the marketing department and the messages you guys are trying to get out to the team are actually disseminated. So what do you feel like has been the biggest change and what do you feel like is the most successful in connecting with team members in today's day and age? Um, we, as, as far as successes, I think I'm, I'm very fortunate to work amongst a team of really creative and innovative storytellers. And that is, 
I feel sometimes like the storytelling thing is a bit of a cliche nowadays that it's like the, the flavor of the year or, or the flavor of the month or whatever. But I, I mean, I feel we, we approach it very authentically that um, we're doing stories even for our internal audience, which I think in some, you know, in some worlds can get overlooked. But um, we're doing things that are, you know, funny when appropriate, which is not hard to do when you have the word serious in your tagline. So we're very careful about, you know, opening the funny jar. But there are times when it's when it works. Um, you know, there are times when uh, we have, uh, as you know, some very talented graphic designers, Jordan's background, <laughs> um, and and you know, using, using those visuals and talented photographers and, and writers and using all of those pieces to tell a really compelling story. And I think candidly, um, the technology on the delivery side of things, um, we haven't been spectacular at keeping up. So we're actually involved right now in a communications audit that we did um, this past calendar year. And we're now at the point of implementing some of the recommendations that we found from that. And it's, it's going to be a process that's going to take a while to do it right but we really thought it was helpful to get some objective eyes on our processes. And, you know, things change really, you know, quote Ferris Bueller, right? If you don't stop and look around it, you know. Uh, so I think we, we certainly fell into that, um, into that bucket where uh, things kept moving and, and we, we redid our newsletter and our intranet five years ago and, it's not the most modern experience now, and so we want to keep up and make sure that our um, our colleagues have access to the information they need to do their jobs in a timely fashion in a place where they can get it. And, you know, it's, it's going to be a journey that we're kind of at the early steps on right now. You know, one of the other things that I really recall from my time there is so often that team is tasked with taking things that are either highly technical or highly unsexy. And oh, yeah. making them something that resonates so that people pick up the information they need to know, like talking about HIPAA or talking yeah. about hand washing or talking about the spread of the flu. I mean, these are things that really do need to resonate with every member of the team, but they are not the most glorious no. topics. So as you guys are, and they're things you have to reinvent yeah. over and over again. So what have you found to be the secret to success for keeping those constant messages that are sort of a part of training that you need to have that marketing voice in yeah, fresh. I think it's um, putting yourself in uh, in the position of the reader, the viewer, whoever. It's, you know, if I'm sitting at my desk, am I going to read this whole thing? Am I going to watch this six and a half minute video? Ooh, that's How a, to wash those hands. Six a step and a half step minutes guide. a long time. So, we, <laughs> yeah, one, so one, one of these things, and this was, I think, after you had, had moved on to your, to your new job, uh, we were working on um, a communications plan for something called ICD-10, which... Hot. Yeah, it's hot. It's hot medical coding talk. <laughs> um, so what that is, is the... Um, and I, I should probably know what ICD stands for. I don't recall off the top of my head, but I do know that that's the system that they use for medical coding so that charges are applied appropriately. So if you twist your ankle and go to the doctor and... There's a, there's a code in a book somewhere that says, you know, twisted ankle, x-ray, and so they know how to, how to bill your insurance company the right way. Well, it was changing from 9 to 10. You know, they had rewritten the, the, this big book. So ICD-9 dated back to the mid to early 70s, I think. 
Time so for said, an upgrade. Right. So that was that was the approach that we took. And so we we got a bunch of 1970s technology and said, you know, what if we were still doing all this other stuff like we did in 1973 or something like that? And it it ended up, you know, it ended up with me in um, a polyester disco shirt and a perm hair wig. Do you still have photos of that you can share <laughs> that, with the class? That's on YouTube also. <laughs> I'll I'll be slightly less forthcoming with the uh um, the title, but we can yes. search. Yeah, we'll find a, it. It's out there. Um, so that was, you know, that was one of those things where if, if, if you can think of a creative approach to tell something that is, you know, objectively kind of a snooze, great. You know, it makes it a little more engaging. I think there's a line that you don't want to be overly silly. And there've been a few things where we've walked right up to that line. Um, you don't want to make people cringe and you don't want to do something that's so in the moment that it, history will be very unkind and you'll look back and, you know, it'd be the equivalent of like, you know, doing the Macarena or something like that. It just hasn't aged well. Not age and, well. and you don't want to do it at the, at the expense of your message. Yeah. And I, I think that's actually an excellent example of sort of that idea of so many times, especially it seems like on the internal communication side of the house, you are tasked with reinventing the wheel about yeah. topics that just need to stay front of mind. So it's like you said to your to your credit it's it's very important to be able to know when you've gone maybe a little far with the fun or to know when to infuse more fun. And yeah, and I think there's also some there's a calculus to be applied as well for um you know, do we want to buy a $1000 hammer to pound in this 10 cent nail? And you have to you have to balance out your resources with um with the project at hand. So if this is a you know, an internal communications project that's going to be seen by a subset of, of your, your staff, you don't want to necessarily short them on resources, but at the same time, you don't want to put in so many resources to where it would be the equivalent of spending $50,000 of producing this piece of content that's going to be seen by 100 people. That's not good business either. Right. And speaking of business, excellent segue. <laughs> I don't know if you planned that, but... You have also pursued an executive MBA. So for anyone considering a graduate degree, how have you seen that education pay dividends in your work life? I think it is um, a change in perspective and how you see things. Um, so I, you know, I think I approach work a little differently and maybe my coworkers can attest to that or, or say that I'm crazy that, no, you're the same guy you were before. Um, but it, you know, it was definitely a growth experience and um, a different approach to challenge. Um, you know, I think it's safe to say we we are different people than we were twenty years ago. So I certainly approached um, the challenge of getting an MBA differently than I approached the challenge of getting a BFA when I was you know nineteen twenty years old. Um, and I learned, you know, I, I learned a lot from the people around me, people in my personal life, patients I met at work. Um, you know, as soon as you start feeling sorry for yourself about your statistics homework, like, come on. Then you just take do, a walk. Do your homework. Walk, walk to down the, the hall cafeteria and see what and... else is going on around you. And it's it's some perspective. And, and you, you start to look at it as like this. And it sounds like a, a, a JV football coach halftime speech but it's it's an opportunity you know it's it's not a have to it's a get to 
in, oh, in I agree with that. mid mid statistics homework, I would have probably said something different. <laughs> However, now that you're removed, now from that, that I'm done with it, yeah. I mean, that's, and that's also interesting too, just to think about. Like, clearly, it does heighten your critical thinking and you do put on sure. sort of a different lens for how you approach projects. So, you know, in the immediate aftermath of having gone through that graduate education, is there any project that you could think about where you would have maybe changed your approach? Like you can just, you would have walked into the room with a different attitude. Yeah. I think what it's kind of what, and I, I swear scouts honor, I didn't plan that segue before, but it's what I was talking about with the, you know, the thousand dollar hammer. It's balancing out our resources that even though we have a, graphic designer on staff, or we have a videographer on staff or a copywriter on staff, it doesn't mean they work for free. You know, if, if they're asked to work on something that is really labor intensive, that doesn't have a huge impact on our strategic goals on a marketing initiative, that's really important right now, that really has to take that, that calls shotgun in the car, you know, and sometimes you have to tell people no and, that's, you know, that's part of it. But I think thinking that, that that's just because we're all here working together doesn't mean that the work is free. It's, it's, um, it's thinking strategically and, and figuring out how to prioritize those, um, those projects that are closest to um, the most important work at the top of the top of the chart. And how often do you, you know, in your just experience in your day to day work, really take the time to reflect on those overall organizational goals. Because I think a lot of times it's easy for people, especially if you've come up through um, various different roles on your team and suddenly you're in a seat where you're supposed to be less in the weeds, but yeah. those weeds are still around your ankles. You know, how yeah. do you, wh what have you found to be your success to maybe kicking free of those and really being able to be in that seat where you're focused on those objectives and how your team can support them? So our strategies are front and center, um, every uh, manager town hall or uh, all colleague town hall forum that we have, our mission goals strategy are what we start with. And um, I think it, it manifests, for me, it manifests itself in asking questions when a new project is coming along. It's like, okay, what, what strategy are we working toward with this? You know, which, which one of our values does this align with? And if it's a, uh, I don't know, then, then maybe this isn't the right time to do that. Um, but it's also just asking the, the most basic of question is what, what do we want as an outcome? What is it? What problem are we trying to solve here? What am I to do with this information? You know, and it sounds, it, I, and I never mean to sound patronizing and I hope it doesn't when I ask that question, but I think it, it makes you, um, Think about what, you know, what it is you're working on. Somebody says, I got a great idea for a video. Okay, what do we want people to do? So I'm all about doing videos. What, you know, what? When a powerful person comes to your desk with something that they see important yeah. that doesn't align with the overall organizational goals or the yeah. big key projects that are happening at the time, I think it is important for people to be able to ask those questions of themselves and then reflect them back upon the asker. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then to have people understand that communications, marketing, public relations, that, that is a discipline that comes, there's some expertise and some background in it. And it's, you know, it's not for everybody. Uh, but, but there's some, there's some expertise that can be applied to that. So say, like, I like the idea of communicating this endeavor or, you know, telling this patient story. 
experience says maybe a video is not the best way to do it. What, what other, let's talk about some other ways that we could, um, we could tell that story in a, you know, in a more effective way. That's awesome. And Paul, I want to thank you for sitting down with AMA Omaha today and lending your expertise, not only on this podcast, but also on our executive advisory council. Glad to be a part of it. Glad to be here. I appreciate the invitation. Awesome. Thank you so much. And we hope you will tune in next time for the next installment of AMP by AMA Omaha. Thank you.